Uh, I know the audio was really bad. So basically, that was Jesus, and they're going to Jesus' birthday party, which is Christmas. And they're basically saying, Jesus, you can't go to a Christmas party like that. And he's giving uh, Steve, he's giving Jesus all this stuff. And basically, another friend comes and says, hey, where's Jesus? So the idea is, even amidst Christmas, because of all the lights, all the presents, all of these wonderful things, yet, because of all these wonderful things, we miss the greatest thing, uh, which is Jesus. So we started a series uh, last week, uh, which we said, we're going to search for Christ, or we're going to search for Jesus amidst all, the, the, all of the noises and all the things that's going on. How do we find Jesus amidst all of these things? Uh, if you have missed last week, uh, then you can still go on podcasts and YouTube, and you can search for our church's name, and you could actually listen to it. Uh, but today, it's going to be a mini-series, and so we're going to end it today. Today's text will come from Matthew chapter 2. Uh, if you guys want to turn your Bibles with, if you do have your Bibles with you, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to be skipping around a little bit. Uh, but actually, um, Liz, who was the singer um, who did special music for us, uh, she actually sang the text that we're going to uh, go over today. The wise men sing Jesus. Um, so I'll be reading from verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and come to worship him. When, king of, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophets. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and uh, told them from what time the star had appeared. Asked them uh, what time the star has appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose and went before them until it came to the rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening, opening up their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, their treasures, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, King Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 16, this is the last verse. Then King Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he has ascertained from the wise men. This is the word of God. 
So immediately from this story, this is a story that all of us are probably uh, uh, aware of. Even if you don't, didn't grow up in the church, this is a uh, pretty famous story uh, if you think of Christmas. Um, immediately we are faced with two different sets of character. Who do we see? We see King Herod and we see these wise men from the east. Right away, we see that Christmas, because of Christmas, these two set of people, they react to the news of Christmas very, very differently. And now, I want you guys to see, when you hear of Christmas, how do you react? Do you react like King Herod? Or do you react like the wise men? So we're going to go into the reaction of these two different sets of people. We're going to start with the wise men. Wise men, they saw the star. They hear about Christmas. What happens? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, I'm not going to go into it too much because actually last year, Grace actually gave a sermon on this. So I'm going to go over it really, really quickly. But if you guys remember what she said last year, she basically said this. In Greek, this is what the Greek looks like, okay? In Greek, Greek language itself is very concise, okay? So, like for example, like I love you, it's sagapo, which means it's just one word. In English, it's three words. But Greek in itself, language itself, is very concise. But here we see that they use extra words to describe their joy, okay? So, uh, do you guys want to read it for me? No, okay. So it's, uh, let me, I forgot how to read Greek. So it's, as karasan, karan, magdalan, sovdra. Okay, I probably read it wrong, but you guys don't know either, so it's okay. Um, it basically means this, okay? This is the literal translation. Literal trans translation is, they rejoice, which is as karatan right here. Okay, they rejoice. Karan, or if you heard, ever heard of the name Kara, that actually means joy. Okay, Kara. Okay, so they rejoiced. Joy, uh, mega, right? Megalon, right? There, that's where we get the word mega from. Uh, great, uh, softra, right here, exceedingly. Okay, so they don't need to do this. They could have just used this one word here, and this word right here, it would have just been, they rejoice greatly. But the authors of Matthew, he wants to tell you this is how happy they are about Christmas. To use our vernacular or use our slang, it's basically like this. They was super duper hella stoked about Christmas. Okay? They was... Super duper hella stoked. This is basically, okay, I know for you guys, you guys will be like, this is, this is ridiculous. But when people are reading the Bible and they, re they see Matthew's account, they're basically saying, okay, you're using way too much superlative, way too many words here. You could have just said they were happy or they were stoked. But instead, Matthew, he puts extra words in, in there to describe how happy they are about the news of Christmas. Now, that was last year. Now, 
we want to look at Herod. Herod, when he hears about Christmas, what does it say? He was troubled. So do you see the contrast between the wise men and King Herod? Now, the word troubled is probably not, I mean, for us, we go, okay, I feel troubled. We don't really use that word too often. Okay, so the Greek word, it literally means to put into motion. Okay, what that tells you is, it's basically, imagine someone, when you hear a news, it is so, so distressing that you actually move around. Have you guys ever had that before? Maybe, like, you hear, you get a phone call, and you hear that somebody maybe died, or that someone close to you is hurt, then something within you, like, your, like your, you feel like your heart just, like, drops. Okay, that's what the Greek word actually is. Or you become sometimes very nervous that you become, like, fidgety, right? Like, you're moving, or you're going, like, back and forth. Or you get on your phone, and you're, like, you're going through this because you don't know what to do. Okay, that's what the Greek word actually describes. So, we see two separate people, and they react to baby Jesus coming on earth, Christmas, very, very differently. On one hand, we have the wise men, super-duper hella stoked. We see King Herod, he's emotionally distressed, devastated that this baby is coming. Or baby is here. So question I want to ask you once again. Okay. When you hear about Christmas. When you hear that Jesus is coming. Okay. How does that make you feel? Are you like the wise men? Who's overjoyed? Super duper? Or are you super duper distressed? And anxious? Today, we're going to talk about King Herod. We're going to talk about why many of us relate to King Herod, why he was so devastated by the story of Christmas, and how we can actually react like the wise men. Because we want to celebrate Jesus' coming. A lot of us, we are in fear, and we are distressed. So, uh, let's talk about that. First of all, why do most of us act like Herod? And why did Herod act like this? Well, first, you have to imagine. Imagine you're King Herod. You're sitting on the throne, and these foreigners, they say they saw a star. They come to you and to your palace, and they say, where's the king? What's your immediate thought? Your immediate thought is, well, I am the king. But they say, no, 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 no. We mean the king, the true king. Do you see why this is disturbing and distressing for Herod? For him, he says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm the one who calls the shots. I'm the one who's in control. Are you telling me that there is someone else who's going to come and take away my power and my freedom? Oh, that's very distressing indeed. From history, we actually know 
uh, what kind of person Herod was. Because uh, uh, Josephus, especially, he's a Jewish historian. He writes about him quite a bit. And we know that this king, he was a very, very troubled man. Already, he was a very anxious man. He already killed his family members to be at where he was. And on top of that, he was a very suspicious man. So whenever he saw any of his, uh, 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 his, his counselors trying to get power, he would just kill them. And so we see already from history that this is a man who's hungry for power, who's hungry for control. And so when these foreigners come and they want to serve the king, but not him, the true king, you see why he becomes very distressed and very, very, very nervous. And so he goes as far as this. Remember, he asks the wise men, oh, I want to worship him too. Go find him for me. But he has other plans. He wants to kill him. So when, when, the, when the wise men don't come back after a month, after a couple of months, after a year, when he doesn't come back, what does he do? He takes extreme measures. He says, nobody will take away my power. What does he do? Go. He says he becomes furious, and he kills all the male children two years and under. And again, you look at this and you go, what a foolish guy. What a dummy that you're willing to kill all these kids because you want power and you want control. But again, he's saying, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to retain control. Again, we look at this and we go, what a crazy person, right? I mean, I would never do something like this. But if you really think about it, are we any that different? Because it's easy to say very similar things that Herod actually says about our own lives. How dare anyone tell me what to do? Who are you to tell me how to spend my money? Who are you to tell me what I should do? Who are you to tell me what kind of career, what kind of girl or guy I should date? So, deep down inside of us, actually, there is a little Herod in all of us who is unwilling to let control. For us, when we hear, where is your king? We start getting very, very nervous and very anxious. When you guys hear sermons like, Jesus loves you, and he does, you guys are absolutely fine with that. When I tell you that Jesus is a great counselor who listens to you when you're going through a troubled time, which he is, 
you have no problem with that either. If he's your supporter, as long as he supports your family, he will make you rich. He will support you. You guys have no problem with that. We have no problem with that. But when pastor, or when you read the Bible, and it tells you that God is king, oh, you start fretting. You start being real, real uncomfortable. When God tells you surrender, you go, nope, I'm out. Why? Because there is little Herod in all of us. When we realize that Jesus is coming as a king, it frightens us. We have to let go of control. We have to surrender. We cannot do what we want to do. <gasps> That's terrifying. Now, some of you guys might think, Pastor, but that, I mean, the greatest value we have is freedom. I mean, this whole idea, this whole concept of Surrender to God. I mean, come on. Like, God is being like a power play here. Like, he's being this like, come on. Like, he wants to be oppressive. Like, what's wrong with freedom? What's wrong that I want to be the captain and the master of my own life? I mean, that's why I left my parents. That's why I'm making a lot of money. That's why I bought this car and this house. So that I can be in control of my own life. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? There's two parts. Number one, the first part is it's because you are not a king. Okay, I'm going to say it one more time. I know it hurts to hear that, but you are not a king. The things that you have are not things that you are born with. These are things that are given to you. The money that you have, the skills that you have, the place that you are in, you are not there because of what you have done. All of the things that we have are given to us. So you think, Pastor, come on. Let me just do whatever I want with my life, my body, my possessions. And God says, no. None of the things that you have are yours. They're just being given to you. You're just a manager of your kids, of your resources, of your life. You're on borrowed time. Now, again, very, very uncomfortable to hear this. I understand. Why? Again, because there is little Herod inside all of us. We want control. We want glory for ourselves. We want no one to tell us what to do. But look at the mirror. Whether you like it or not, you're going to get older. You're going to die. And there will be judgment. There will be, you will be held accountable for what you do, how you live your life. You are not the king. Number two. Wow, that was depressing. Number two. 
you have to understand, God is not being this egomaniac, power-hungry God who says, come on. But what you have to understand is this attitude, this little Herod within us, this is what, okay, let me rephrase it. Look at all the atrocities and all the devastating things that are going on in this world. Okay, I can guarantee you 99% of the things that are going on in this world is happening because of all the little Herods that are roaming around in this world. All the self-centered, all the selfish people, including us, that are roaming around. Now, you go, Pastor, come on. You're being so pessimistic about human beings. We have done such great things. I agree, we can do great things. And yet, there's so much that we can do. Okay, now you might think, okay, okay, whatever, whatever, okay. Don't let me tell you. I'll show you a video. Volume, please. Thank <laughs> you. 
This is the reality of what happens when we have little Herods running around. Why do you think we have rules? Why do you think, why do you think we have laws? Why do you think we have lawyers? If we're such good people, why do we have these regulations? Why do we lock our doors at night? You might think, come on, pastor, you're being so pessimistic. No, I'm not pessimistic. This is the reality of this world. Yes, there are wonderful people in this world. There are wonderful people in this room. And yet, because we have little Herods all inside of us, all of us, every single one of us, contribute to this atrocity that is happening every single day. And you might think again, Pastor, come on, I would never do this. Then you really don't know yourself. If there are no law, if no one ever knew, if you had no consequences, you would do 10 times this. That is the reality of little Herod and all of us. So for Herod to kill innocent children, that means absolutely nothing to him. There's no tears shed. Why? Because power and glory, that's all I want. Again, this is, what, this is why this is a problem. And this is what the Bible continues to tell us is our problem. We want to become kings. We want to be in control. But it is because of our control that we're in this mess. The mess that you see in this world, the mess that you see in your life, the mess that you see in your family, it is because of the little Herod that is living in every single one of you. And if the little Herod does not step away from the throne, and if God is not sitting on the throne in your life, you are going to destroy your own life. Now, there's different ways we react when it comes to this throne and this kind of, the, uh, this kind of ideology. Thomas Nagel, he's a philosopher, uh, a real one, not like Chris Rock, uh, but, and an atheist. This is what he says. He says, this is the reason why I don't believe in God. I am talking about the fear of religion itself. I am speaking from experience, being strongly subject to this fear myself. He says, I am scared of religion. Why? I want atheism to be true. And I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just the fact that I don't believe in God. And naturally, I hope my belief is right. I hope... There is no God. So he's not saying, uh, for him at least, he's saying, 
The reason I don't believe in God is not because it's an intellectual one, because I know many other smart people that are actually Christians. So my reason for not wanting a God is not an intellectual one. This is his reason for why he believe, he doesn't want God. He says, I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Why? Because my guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not rare. What is he saying? He's saying, essentially, what King Herod is saying. And what I'm saying, that all of us have. Which is, he's saying, I want to be in control of everything that I have. I don't want there to be God. I don't want a God who is in control of everything, because that means I have to submit. I don't want this cosmic authority. I want to be in charge. So, I'd rather not believe that there is God. I don't want there to be God. I am the master and the captain of my soul. Now, religious people who are sitting here, you might think, those atheists. But we must understand, religious people are no different. Because even though religious people, I included, we say there is God, we actually use God a lot of times. For many of us religious people, we do religious things not because we really want to serve God, or not because we really want God, but naturally because we want things of God. We want joy, we want peace, we want meaning. And those are all good things, but we only want those things. Like a gold digger who only wants the money. How do I know this is true? Because of all the people who are leaving the church. Of all the people that come to me and say, God is a horrible God. Why? Because I pray to God and He never answers my prayer. He never gives me stuff. I did all these things. And what does God do? Ah. If they no longer receive stuff from God, they no longer need like a gold digger who no longer receives money, then they're willing to leave. <laughs> Again, all of us, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, all of us, we deal with this problem. All of us have a little Herod within us. When we hear this word surrender, we get very fidgety, we become very, very troubled, and emotionally distressed. Where is the true king? Where is the king? Most troubling question for Herod, and most, question, most troubling question for each and every one of us. To conclude, 
going to give you two reasons why Christmas actually tells us that despite our fears, despite our anxiety, that we need to stop being Herod and we need to step down. And why Christmas actually tells us that we can actually trust Jesus to be our King. Reason number one. How does Jesus come? Does Jesus come as a triumphant king? Who says, everybody bow down to me, or I will kill you. No. He comes as the most fragile being that a human can be. Yes, God is all-powerful. Yes, He is the mighty king. And yet, when He approaches us, He approaches us as a fragile human being. So at minimum, we know, at minimum, we know this is not a king who is power hungry. This is not a king who wants to do power play here. This is not a king who pushes his authority and says, you listen. But a king who comes humbly. A king who is willing to let go of his power. Number two, we can trust this king because we know that he comes as a baby. He's willing to let it all go. Why? Because of you. Because of you. Because of all the little evil Herods in this room. Because you cannot let go. Because you cannot leave your throne. Because you are so wicked. Baby Jesus comes. He comes to give you hope. He comes and says, I know that you are so scared to let go. I know that you have been controlled your whole life. And you don't trust me. So you know what? I'm willing to become the most fragile thing. I'm willing to die instead of you. To redeem you. To show you that I am a good king. I am not a king who will come and ruin your life. But I am a king who has come to redeem you. This is why we see the response of the wise men. They rejoiced exceedingly. They have all this stuff. They have all this treasure. They're not desperate people. They have everything, but they realize what this king meant. So what did they do? They actually come seek him, and they actually let go. They actually come and worship him. They actually give him gifts. And what's the response? The response is this joy that comes, this freedom that comes. I can assure every single one of you this. I, I totally, absolutely understand because I am just as bad as you. I'm actually probably worse than you. 
I know that letting control is the most difficult thing in the world. But I can rest assured. Rest assured. Not even rest assured. I can tell you this for sure. If you do not let go of your control, you will always, always for the rest of your life, you will be in distress. You will always have anxiety. You will never be content. Why? Because we live in a world with uncertainty. We live in a world, even though we won't control, nothing is in control. Natural disasters, all these things are happening. Okay? Whether there is God or not, your desire for control, this is what's making you unhappy. Because this world, whether there is God or not, this world is ending. You're going to end. No matter how desperately you try to hold on. But for those of you who do believe in God, for those of you who want to believe in God, for those of you who want to say, I'm sick of being in control because I see the stuff that I have done in my own life. I have seen the damage that I have done in other people's life through my little heritage. And I invite you, as we have celebrated Christmas and as we go into a new year, to let go, to get off your throne room. To realize, again, impossible for you to do it yourself, but to look at the real king. Okay? Look at the real king. Look at the king who's willing to say, I'll let go of anything. I love you so much that I'm willing to do anything for you. Now that kind of person, that kind of God, that is a God you want as your king. Let's go into time of prayer.